it, it is Communion Sunday, and, and some of you have probably already thought, oh no, they forgot Communion. Well, no, we haven't forgot Communion. Communion will be our response today to the, to the sermon. So look in your notes. Uh, probably the most famous passage about Communion is printed right there for you. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. For Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so I want to focus on the remembering part, the remembrance of me. We do communion about once a month. We, we rarely miss a month. And, and we talk about a lot of things, a variety of things. We listen to music. We have discussions. We prepare for communion. We never want it to be exactly the same because we don't want to fall into a rut. Now, it, it's going to be similar because it's, it's a ceremony we do. We never want it to be the same. But today... I want to focus on remembering some things that maybe we don't often remember. So, uh, just some things we do remember, or things we talk about a lot, or are the events leading up to the cross. Uh, the things that happen, the trial, the arrest, the betrayal, these kinds of things. We talk about the events on the cross, the seven sayings that Jesus said, the things he, how he interacted. We talk about the things that happened around the cross, the veil being torn. Uh, the dead arising, the sky turning black, these kinds of things. We talk about the resurrection, we talk about the ascension. Moving, moving backwards, we talk about his teaching, his miracles, and sometimes we talk about Old Testament prophecies. Um, we never talk about all of these things at once, but these are all the things that would fit into the in remembrance of me. We're not only supposed to remember that Jesus died on the cross, we're supposed to remember his life, his teaching, his, his sayings, the principles he brought forth, the character that he lived with, his sinlessness. We're supposed to remember all of his life and everything he represented. And today I want to kind of focus back on, on some, I want to start with some of the Old Testament prophecies. Uh, we often throw out there, hey, there's this many prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus. Over 300 prophecies that talk about his life, his, his birth, and his death, and we talk about how how that's just impossible without God intervening and interacting and bringing these things about. But we never mention some of them. Well, I can't mention 300, but I, I can mention a few. So the first thing in your notes, I want to emphasize that Jesus' birth, life, and death were all prophesied 400 years in advance. 400 years in advance. And why is that important? And, you know, I've often asked, why was there 400 years between the close of the Old Testament and the opening of the New Testament? Why, why 400 years of God not talking? And I don't presume to speak for God. I don't know what all these reasons could be. But perhaps one reason is to make a bigger deal out of the fact that Jesus was on, on the scene now. And if, if prophets were speaking for that 400 years, people would be saying, well, they made adjustments along the way. When they saw history unfolding, they, they changed this and they changed that. They actually prepared the way for Jesus to come, and they set him up knowing they were going to do this. And, and so man manipulated time and energy and space and, and people and caused these things to happen. But if there's 400 years of silence, then God said it a really long time ago, 
and then all of a sudden it all happened. And there's no question that God predicted it. It was true prophecy. And, and then we examine it. There's no, there's no doubt that God caused it to happen because it couldn't happen without it. So I want to look at a couple of Old Testament passages. Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9. I say it wrong every time. I'm going to read this to you. It, it's a pretty short passage, but listen for some prophecy here. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. That means Israel. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly or humbly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fur of a donkey. And that's all it says. One verse. How is this brought forth? Where do we find that in the, in the New Testament? Well, in John 12, 12 through 16, listen how similar this sounds. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Don't be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So it's interesting, the, the disciples, are, you know, John, who wrote this, is saying right now, we didn't even get this, we didn't understand what was happening, but now we do, and guess what? It was fulfilling prophecy. It said they would shout and rejoice, and they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It said, your king will come, and they said, blessed is the king of Israel. They welcomed him as king. They actually thought he was going to take over as king. And he said he would ride on a donkey, and Jesus sat on a donkey, and he rode into town. Now, if this were the only passage, you could easily say at this point in time, well, that wouldn't be too hard to work out on your own. You could send people ahead to tell people what to yell and, and what to say, and you could find a donkey. It wouldn't be too hard to manufacture this and say, look, I fulfilled prophecy. And the truth is, a lot of people did just that. There are a lot of people who, who had their own triumphal entry trying to proclaim themselves to be the Messiah trying to, to put themselves in a position to be the king that, when they overthrow Rome. And so, if that's all there is, you could argue. And there's not much we could say about it. But that's not all there is. In, in Isaiah 53, 1 through 5, we have a lot more. And as a matter of fact, the entire chapter is, is, about, is about the up, un, upcoming Messiah. And I'm just going to read the entire chapter. Listen for things that sound like Jesus. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before them like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we were healed. We are like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? He was, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. But he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life... And, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his, his offering and prolong his days. And he will be the Lord, excuse me, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and will be satisfied by the knowledge, my righteousness, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now if we went line by line, thing by thing, if I read it better than I read it, it would be more clear. But if we went line by line, we could spend the next two days looking at everything in that passage that identified something about Jesus. I just want to go through the first five verses. And these are all in your notes. You can refer back and look at the first five verses. But it said he would be a tender shoot. That he would be a root that grew. And in Luke 2.52, it says he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and men. Jesus didn't show up as king. He didn't show up with flowing robes and a, and a golden crown and, and demanding respect and showing his signet ring and his, and his staff. He showed up as a baby. And he grew up in front of them. He learned how to walk. He learned how to talk. He learned how to be a carpenter. He learned the scriptures. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and men. So that part is fulfilled. It says there was no beauty or majesty. Nothing about him attracted you to him. And we know this because everywhere he went, nobody knew who he was. And there was always the question, are you Jesus? Or he would start teaching and they'd say, how do you know these things? Wow, he teaches like someone who has authority unto himself. His, the people in his own synagogue rejected him because they knew him as Joseph's son. He, he didn't draw any attention. He didn't walk into a room and people went, Oh, the Messiah is here today. Wow, the future king of Israel. No one ever said those things. He was uh, just a plain average fellow. He was despised and rejected. Luke 23, 18, we read about Barabbas, where they were given the choice, do you want this murderer insurrectionist released, or do you want Jesus released? They said, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus, just one example of how he was despised and rejected. They said he would be a man of suffering and, and pain. We think of the scourging he endured, the crown of nails that was put on his head, the nails that went into his hands and his feet. And we could go on and on. Lots of, lots of suffering and pain, both emotional, physical, spiritual. Said so he would be esteemed lowly, that he would not be respected. 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but should have said, wow, teach us more. You know more than we do. You're, you're obviously the Messiah. You're healing people. Uh, you're raising people from the dead. We, we will serve you. They, that should have been their response, but instead they hated him. And they constantly plotted against him. And they did everything they could to find a way to get rid of him, and eventually they killed him. So he was esteemed lowly. It says he took up our pain and our suffering. And you can read about that in Matthew 27. He was mocked. He was beaten. There was the crown of thorns. There was the crucifixion. He took upon himself our pain and our suffering that were due us. And then he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for iniquities, and, and by his wounds we're healed. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered unto death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. In other words, he did all this for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins, so that we could have eternal life. That's Isaiah 53. So that's more things. And now we're getting to the realm where these things can't be made up. Uh, nobody told the soldiers to make a crown of thorns. Uh, no, nobody, nobody directed these things. Nobody instructed the people. These things happened outside the control of Jesus and the apostles and anyone else who wanted, who, who wanted to or could have manipulated the circumstances. So now we're getting into the realm of too many things to happen by chance. But there's more on the back side of your notes. Psalm 41.9 tells us that Jesus will be betrayed by a friend. And we know that Judas was a friend, one of the apostles. And Judas betrayed him. And Isaiah 53.7, which we read, it said Jesus will be silent before his accusers. In Matthew 26, we, we read about that. He, he didn't speak because it was an unjust trial. He didn't answer them because they were illegitimate questions. He was silent before his accusers. In Isaiah 56, it said that Jesus would be struck and spit upon. We'll read about that in Matthew 27. In Psalm 22:16, it says his hands and his feet would be pierced. We know that happened because we know what crucifixion was. But then in Acts 2.23, it mentions it specifically, that his hands and his feet were pierced. We know that when Thomas showed up, he said, look at my hands, look at my feet. His hands and his feet were pierced. And by the way, that prophecy was prophesied when the professor, or the prophets, had no idea what, what crucifixion was. He had no reference for that. Psalm twenty-two seventeen says he would experience no broken bones. John verifies that for us in, in chapter 19, verse 36. Psalm 22, 18 says that Jesus' clothes would be divided and gambled for. Matthew 27, again, tells us that narrative, where that very thing took place. Isaiah 53, 9, we read this. It said he would be buried with the rich. And he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a, a tomb that was carved out for his family but had never been used yet. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. And Isaiah 53, 12 said he would die among criminals, and he died with a thief on each side. So here's, here's 18 or so specific prophecies all fulfilled by Jesus in his life, most of them at the end of his life. And, and, and there's no way this is just coincidental. So one thing we're supposed to remember when we come to communion, at least today, we need to remember that Jesus was exactly who he was supposed to be, where he was supposed to be, when he was supposed to be, and did exactly what he was called to do. There's no mistake There's no coincidence. 
He was the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and was crucified exactly how God planned it, when God planned it, so that we could have salvation for our sins. We need to remember that Jesus was God. And that's the only thing that allowed all of this to take place the way it did. So that's the first thing we need to remember. The second thing to remember this morning is that Jesus came and gave his life so that God the Father could be glorified. I want to read Philippians 2, 5 through 11 for you. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, or the same attitude. So the author here is telling us, hey, this is an attitude you should practice. What kind of attitude did Jesus have? Well, he was, he was in very nature God, but did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This covers his birth to his death. He didn't march in as, as, as Jesus, the Son of God, uh, with an army behind him. He marched in humbly as a baby and grew up before them. And he didn't use the fact that he was God to enhance his life or to make it easier. He grew up just like everybody else. He was humble. And then in obedience, he went to the cross. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. God glorified him and gave him the name that is above every other name. Why? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus' ultimate purpose was not to save us. That may, that may be something surprising to hear because that's usually what we focus on. His ultimate purpose was not to save us. His ultimate purpose was to glorify the Father through our salvations. Every person that he saves from hell glorifies the Father, so he came and paid a price worthy to save all, anyone that would receive him, so that the Father would be glorified the maximum amount. So Jesus did everything he did to glorify the Father. So if Jesus' purpose in winning our salvation was to glorify the Father, then our purpose as saved people is also to glorify the Father. So we need to remember why Jesus did what he did, because he set the example for us. He came to glorify the Father. We need to glorify the Father. He did it by the way he lived, his obedience, his devotion, and, and even the way he died, and we need to be ready to do the same thing. So number three, what are we supposed to remember? Well, being crucified, or by being crucified, Jesus is saying to you and me, I did this for you so that you don't have to. He's literally saying through his actions that I have died for you so that you don't have to die. I, the sinless human being, died the death of a sinner so that you, the sinner, can live the life of the sinless. I have taken your place. I have stepped in to your role. What did Jesus do? He endured the worst possible thing available to him. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. What's the worst thing they could do to the man? A death by torture. That's what they did to him. What's the worst thing that, could, that a God could endure? Sin. So he, he 
died the death of a human, and he took the human sin upon himself. That was the most he could possibly suffer, and he did that so that we could be saved, so that the Father could be glorified. And then why did he do it? So that so we could have eternal life. And that, we, and that the Father would be glorified. That we could have eternal life. And, and how should we respond? We should respond as new creations. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore you are a new creation in Christ. We are a new creation. So we need to live new lives. Different lives. We should sound different. We should look different. We should think different. We should approach people differently. We should approach our job differently. Everything about us should have an adjustment when we become a believer. We now look at life differently. We look at people differently. We look at opportunities differently. We, we gauge our decisions differently. We, our wisdom is different. And so in response to Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, we say, thank you for my salvation, and now I will live the different life you've called me to live. Which could, is going to mean I'm going to have to study about this, I'm going to have to learn, I'm going to have to practice. It, it will become natural one day, but for now, I need, to, I need to learn this. So being crucified, Jesus is saying, I did this for you so that you don't have to. I died for you so that you could live. That's the thing we should remember. And then number four, the bread represents Jesus' human body, which was broken and died. We're getting down to the things we say when we serve communion. The bread represents Jesus' human body, which was broken and died. He literally died. His body was literally broken. He, he gave his life. And when we get that little piece of bread, that little insignificant piece of bread, and we eat it, it's, it's not to feed us, right? That's super obvious, because it would be a waste of time. It doesn't even taste good, right? The point is that I am saying to myself, and I'm saying to everyone around me, and I'm saying to God, I remember that Jesus gave his life on the cross so that I did not have to die a spiritual death. I remember that. And I'm acknowledging that it was the only way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no back door. There's no shortcut. There's no other religion. He's the only way. And we're acknowledging that. And then the juice represents Jesus' blood that endured, that endured his death, that ensured his death was a true sacrifice. Somehow, God determined that the payment for sin was the, the lifeblood. That's what he determined had to happen. And, and Jesus, as a human, had lifeblood in him, and he shed this blood. And, and I can't explain that. I don't know why, why God determined that. I don't know why God established that. But he said, this is how it happens. And then he sent his son to give his blood so that the, the price could be paid for our salvation. So the bread represents his body, and the juice represents his blood. Let's read this one more time. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So we remember his teachings and his miracles. We remember the, the torture, if you will, that he endured before the cross and on the cross. Remember the things he said on the cross. Remember his resurrection, his ascension. And we remember the fact that, that there's no doubt he is who he was. He was the Son of God. There's, there's no way these things could have happened if he wasn't. We remember that he did this so that the Father would be glorified. And in that process, we gained salvation. So we also did it so that we could be saved. And he said, remember these things. So we're going to stop, and we're going to take communion together. And, and these are the things we're going to remember. So the guys that are serving, come on up. We're going to listen to a song similar to the one that we just heard or sang earlier. It's kind of a more mellow version of Nothing But the Blood. Think about that while it's being served, and then we'll partake together. So, guys, go ahead and serve, and go ahead and start that song. So, like we talked about, the bread represents the body, the juice represents the blood, and maybe I'm going to say this a little bit differently. Like, I'm going to have a conversation with God. I'm going to let you guys listen in and join in. And at the right time, we'll participate together. So be paying attention. So, Father God, we thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross. We thank you that you made a way for us to be saved so that you could be glorified in that process. Thank you that our salvation gives us a permanent place in your family where we get to spend eternity in heaven serving you and witnessing that glory. Thank you that Jesus was willing to do these things, that he was born of a virgin and entered this world as a baby and had to grow up and learn things and wasn't just a little humbled, but was a lot humbled. And then he lived his life as no one special until it was time to be the Messiah. And then he revealed himself. And because he revealed himself, those who should have embraced him, they rejected him. And even his close friends, the apostles, many times did not know what was going on, did not know what was happening, and really, truly, seems like did not understand until after the resurrection. So, Father, there is that moment in time where every prophecy came to fulfillment and, and everything began anew. But without this moment in time, there would be no reason to exist. That moment in time was when Jesus gave his life on the cross. So we do remember that today. So Father, as a symbol of Jesus' body that was broken on the cross, we together partake of the bread in remembrance of him. Let's do that together. And Father God, we partake of the juice remembering that his blood was shed, and you're the one that said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
So thank you for the blood that was shed. We take the juice together, remembering that fact as well. And Father God, may we, in response to what we've remembered, dedicate ourselves to live for you, to live as that new creation, making wise decisions according to your scripture, lifting your name on high, serving you before ourselves, serving others before ourselves. May we respond as Jesus led us by example to be humble. May we stand for you when that time comes. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.